0: Good morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you've made the connection and are with us today. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and I have Rick Bernardo, who co-hosts with me, and the goal of our show is to explore a wide range of topics that challenge us to see ourselves, our community, and the world around us that get us thinking, remembering, sharing, uh, imagining, uh, and and doing this with really interesting guests that that help us make new connections. So last week, Rick, uh, by the way, welcome, Rick.
1: That's me. Hi, I'm I'm Rick.
0: Rick brought really interesting people together to talk about from being to doing to get the results we want. And it was part of a two-part series, so this is our second part. And last week it was really interesting. We had a variety of voices that talked about angles to approach getting unstuck when we want to do something or sometimes when we're doing too much and we're not remembering who we are because we're just in this doing place. And we've been exploring how doing and being interrelate Yeah. and sometimes the voices in our head that get us (laughs) either shaming that we're doing too much or we're not doing enough.
1: Yeah. What voices? That's the voice that just asked that question in my Mm -hmm. head to myself.
0: Yeah. And, and big picture how we want to make a difference and a difference for ourselves, difference for others. And I'm delighted that Diana Christine Teodorescu um, is joining us again. She she helped wrap up our show last week and she's kicking off this uh, show this week. And one of the things that I'm really interested in um, that Diana's background brings to us uh, is a whole looking at um, intergenerational historic, cultural, uh, race-based trauma. She's got amazing degrees in all kinds. She's got a doctorate in leadership. She's got a master's certificate in marriage and family therapy, and these all have intersections. Um, So welcome. Welcome, Diana, to help us continue our conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good to be with you both. So when Um, we're looking at uh, getting unstuck, Sometimes what you were sharing with us last week is kind of can be get comfortable with being uncomfortable, and you can do that in a playful way, but it's intentional. You saw yourself as a pebble that kind of gets people bugged enough to start wanting to do something different. Um, but it, you make the first steps, and you go, oh, aha, uh-huh. that's why mm-hmm. it hurts, and I get mm-hmm. that. But then there's the mm-hmm. next steps after that that um, we may not know how to really look at. You know, we're, we're part of something um, perhaps that it's hard to name.
2: Yeah.
3: yeah, and I think as you say that, Laurie, there, like for me there's, there's a layeredness that comes up, and that's, that's a part of who I am. Right? The, the, the part of me that sees systems and sees the interconnectedness and the intertwining of, of different seemingly disparate parts of ourselves or dynamics within the sociocultural milieu. Um, and, and I th- sometimes think of it as spokes on a wheel and yet all of those, or, or parts of a tapestry, right? All these threads mm-hmm. connect together to make this beautiful and, and not necessarily always easy or um, pain-free mm-hmm. experience, but, but they create something. And um, sometimes, so the, the therapist part of me, Twenty plus years ago, Rick dating myself now. Um, when I first started out, started noticing as I was coming alongside of people and their stories that that what was presenting itself, the trauma that was showing up, wasn't only in the the child or adolescent that was present. It, it was present in the caregivers. It was present for generations back. So that intergenerational component. What wasn't, what was lurking kind of in the, in the shadows for me at the time was, were the other parts of cultural and historical. Um, and, and I say those as if they're separate things, but there is a lot of overlap. Mm-hmm. And when I went to do that doctoral degree you talked about, I had a professor. Um, well, first of all, let me say, I thought I was going to not work with trauma uh-huh. anymore. And the universe I'm done said, with trauma. Now. I'm done with trauma now. Yeah, okay, I, got I got it, it. all figured it out. Myself, Trauma's behind I got it all figured out. Trauma <laughs> Trauma. not going to do trauma. Yeah. Um, and then the universe said, sure you aren't. And and I had a, <laughs> a wonderful professor, uh-huh. Dr. Yvette Pye, who showed us the Tulsa, Oklahoma massacre. Oh, my gosh. Documentary. Yeah. And it and it truly flipped my world upside down. Now I'm not proud of saying that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the, the thoughts of of shame, the feelings of shame and guilt, and the thoughts of how could I not have known, mm-hmm. right? Were very present mm-hmm. as I as I navigated that and 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 what that meant to see that and mm-hmm. how could I be the age that I was during my doctoral program mm-hmm. <laughs> and not know that this that this and so much more, right? Has existed within. i'll start with america right america has a historical cultural context but it it goes elsewhere and then the thought that that really i struggled with and and do continue to struggle with and be with that creates that discomfort is how how do we treat one another differently simply on the basis of the color of our skin pigmentization Mm -hmm. which none of us has any control over right Well, it's it's in our
0: brain. I mean, that's part of that that unconscious bias or implicit bias that we feel safe. It's a tribal. If there's a difference, then it creates that us and them. And the first thought, you know, I I I totally get that it's a brain thing, and but it's the second thought that we have control over if we take Mm -hmm. a pause and Mm -hmm. and and can own.
1: I I hope this connects, but you know, in the teaching of ethics, it's such a. It's just so important for me to distinguish between uh, anybody being to blame for something and taking responsibility, Mm -hmm. which is just Mm – I I always say think of that as not even blame because we conflate the words a lot of time. Responsibility is able to have a response. So we could be a cause in the matter. We can – that age-old saying, Mm -hmm. we can be part of the solution Mm -hmm. and and, and not part of the problem.
0: I like to switch the I and the A and create a response – Ability. Exactly. That that we're able to respond. Um and with
3: empathy. Yeah. And here's here's the like the beauty and the pain in that, right? Is Mm -hmm. um how do how do we become right? How do we start acknowledging and become aware of what we might otherwise be oblivious to? Mm
0: -hmm.
3: Right? And and for some of us, just swimming in the water because of that pigmentization we don't have to struggle right. as much with. We don't have to be as much with. So how do we start letting ourselves, right, be aware and acknowledge.
0: And uncomfortable. And be with. Because yeah, people don't want to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I think that's why it's yeah. like, you're blaming me. That happened a long time mm-hmm. ago, and I'm. I, mm-hmm. it wasn't my fault. Well, mm-hmm. it, we're still in the water here. So we need any. to be dealing with – there's some icky yeah. stuff in the water we're going to have to be dealing with that we're swimming yeah. in.
1: I tell you, any yeah. chance I get, I, I, I just – it's not a confession in the sense of that I did something wrong, but I own up to the fact that when I go for a job interview, I'm seen as the normal thing. Mm-hmm. When I go mm-hmm. to a store, I don't even worry mm-hmm. about somebody following me around mm-hmm. in case I'm going to steal mm-hmm. something. Well, There's so mm-hmm. many examples. I,
0: I've worked with people that actually changed their name on their resume from Jose to Joe. Mm-hmm. When yeah. they were Jose, yeah. they didn't get any callback. Same right. resume. When they were Joe, right. dozens of callbacks. Right. Now, that's a yeah. heartbreak. That's yeah. that, that that's just like – that's just wrong. And and but it's part of what people feel more comfortable with. And very often our brain wants to feel comfortable and be with people that are like us because then it's easier. But it's not always better. (laughs) There's so many groups
1: that where where I mean, as a white male, I'm I'm sort of the privileged, you know, not intentionally. But
0: But it's hard in all of this when you're feeling this kind of pain, um, it's. I think there is a natural reaction and I think white people go to this very easily. Mm -hmm. Let's just do something. Mm -hmm. Let's just keep ourselves Mm -hmm. busy so Mm -hmm. we don't have to be thinking Mm -hmm. about it. But the Mm -hmm. way that you described it just now, I got this vision of like this DNA helix. There's like a DNA of trauma that you can start tracing back um, and it can be very healing to look and, and we can almost genetically look at where Where did the trauma start and how do we go back to repair that? And it doesn't mean we fix
3: it, but
0: there's a sense of healing and repairing that I think is important.
4: Yeah. And
3: I, I do want to make some of those – like I, so some of the work that I've embarked in in the last year is being with Menakam Menachem and, sorry, Carolyn Quinn and through the Education for Racial Equity and doing foundations of somatic abolitionism and reparative communal consultation spaces. And in that work, we also do triad work and being together and – starting to be with, again, not only from an intellectual space, but really from an embodied space, right, as we're with these things that are discomforting, as we're with these um, experiences, whether they're in the sociocultural milieu or within ourselves that arise, right, that guilt, that shame, that, oh, I I want to distance from that, Mm -hmm. and then being with that somatically and noticing what am I feeling? What are the sensations? Right? Because again, it's so easy for so many of us, or it's easier to disconnect and right. be in our headspace. And and then when we disconnect,
0: we want to fill it with something. So we might yes. might just put the, that yes. to do list so that we feel like, well, w- yes. look what we
3: accomplished and look what we got done. Yes. Um yes. And, and and thank you, Lord, for saying that because there was something that from last week that had that I was reminded of when you said that that. That that interior work that we do, that being with our within our bodies and doing that communally, right? Because being with it by myself is only one part of it. Mm-hmm. Like really being with you and, and Rick and doing this together creates that communal, that relational place where we can be with that together and say, Oh, this is what I'm feeling or noticing. What are you like? Right. What are you picking up? And oh, this was really uncomfortable when Diana said this and I didn't really like it, and how do we keep going to that and in being curious, right? The, the, the being curious and having that heart and compassion toward it mm-hmm. um, and being with the anger. Right. Because the anger and the rage will be there too. So it's all of it, right? All of it together.
0: Diana, we got to go on this segment, but I want to let you know that we're going to have you come back and we're going to do an even deeper dive in looking at the work that you're doing uh, because I think it's it's the next step. Of, of making changes so that we can be who we want to be and how we can be together.
3: I would be honored, Lori and Rick. Thank you. We
0: look forward to it. And thanks. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm Lori Fitz, and my co-host is Rick Bernardo, And Rick, this has been a real wonderful journey that you've put together for us. Uh, Our first show of the January and 2023 season was we looked at gentle intentions. This last week, we were looking at um, how to differentiate between being and doing and there's a how they work together. D- different and
1: approaches, different to, approaches to addressing that. Yeah. are A lot of wise voices that we literally had on.
0: And we had Diana last week and this week, and that's Diana Christine Théodore Rescue. Indeed. And yeah. you had. A nice reaction you know after that segment as we were talking in the commercial break a
1: lot of what everybody including diana was talking about is the inner environment and the outer environment in which we're working and they're all very aware and first in that and i was remembering i used i used to use this in my ethics courses all the time a statement by arthur miller uh Who wrote *Death of a Salesman*, *The Crucible*? uh, All he was also married, (laughs) Marilyn Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. (laughs) So he's 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 wise maybe, Um, and uh, but the quote is the the fish is in the water and the water is in the fish, and Mm -hmm. he would mention that because he realized. In his writing, he had no idea how to create a real person on the stage unless he was aware of what was going on inside them, but also what's going on socially mm-hmm. in, in that group, in that in all the layers. Yeah. The water is in the fish, and the fish is in the water, and vice versa. It's just like, whoa. And we're like that.
0: Yeah. And Diana did a beautiful job really looking at generational um, and challenges, and trauma and looking back. And, and I, I'm i thrilled and I'm looking forward to having her uh, join us for another show.
1: Yeah, but could great. you? Yeah. Um, She's got share an email address. The email. Yeah, yeah, just so people know how to reach her. Yeah. It's uh, DCT, that stands for Diana Christine Theater Rescue, but DCT, and then it's the rest of Theater Rescue's E O D O R E S C U. DCT. A rescue at SomnioQuam. That's uh, Somnio, S O M N I O, and QUAM, Q U A M. There's no L in there. There's no qualms about being in touch with Diana. There we right. go. <clears> .org. <throat> <laughs> All right.
0: All right. Well, it was, we now have the privilege of bringing back another guest from last week. Susan Hart Gaines was sharing with us last week about working with high achievers and physicians and the challenges they face. Susan, thank you for joining us again. Yay. Thank
2: thank you for having me. One of
0: the things that struck me from last week, and if you didn't listen last week, you can go to am950radio.com, and you can listen to last week on our podcast. But one of the things that struck me is you did such a beautiful job of sharing when people are under high pressure jobs whether it's a physician or you're a high achiever in another how very often they give to everyone else but themselves absolutely and and i think that's a chronic issue in our our society today um we're doing for so many other people but we don't take a break and pause and go yeah but i'm angry why am i angry (laughs) (laughs) right i've been busy doing but you know when i take a pause i find out i'm either hurting or angry or something's going on and you were helping to unwrap how to start to look at those things that are underneath maybe the doing this um and, and if you would Absolutely. mind just recapping some of the things that you shared in terms of how to work towards transformation. And this week, I'd love to have you share a little bit more about what are the goodies that are on the mm-hmm. other side of, of working right. through some of these painful things.
2: Right. And that's the beauty of coaching. And, um, you know, there are a lot of uh, subtle differences between therapy and coaching, and there are lots of crossovers. But I would say one of the the really beautiful thing about coaching is that those goodies, I think are more readily available in, and, in maybe more quickly um, than they can be in therapy. And again, not one better than the other therapy has a very, very important place that coaching cannot replace
4: mm-hmm.
2: um, when it comes to mental health. So I like to emphasize that, but the goodies are that, Uh, I mean, this, people realize that so much more is possible than they ever, ever imagined. So, you know, a lot of doctors, for example, will say, you know, this is it, I invested in this, um, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I, this is my lot. And I would be weak, or, um, you know, some sort of, loser if a failure if i quit this um and so some of the goodies are some radical things happen like things that i could never have predicted where physicians for example uh decide that life is short and they're going to take six months off hmm. and for some people this is i it was unimaginable even especially um, some of the other goodies are even smaller than that, um, where they feel like they can take an afternoon off. They Even coaching, itself, some people carry around a, a, a coach's card for so long, thinking this is some kind of luxury or they can't do it perfectly, so they're not going to do it. And just taking that first step to come into a coaching office is, is a big deal. And it, it, it is. It's an incredible moment of self care.
0: As as you talk about all of this, I keep thinking to myself, it sounds like how do we start to give ourselves permission? There, there's this, it is that. There's a beautiful. permission yeah. to call you. There's a permission to take the afternoon off. There's a permission to embrace six months of your life in a new way. Um, and and- Absolutely. And, and is part of that like addressing the voices in our head or is part of that just allowing ourselves to even think
2: that it's possible? I think it is about addressing those voices in our head. And again, with doctors and I would say other high achievers, the voices in the head are don't be weak um, that they somehow believe they're supposed to be superhuman. They're supposed to be able to do things that are above the human condition. Somehow that, and superheroes. So, yes, yeah, it's superheroes. It's it really is about permission. The idea is not to rise above the human condition, but to join the human race mm-hmm. and to recognize that your you know struggles and your fatigue. And you're needing normal human things. It's part of being human.
0: And, and, and it's way okay to be human. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, yeah.
1: But, and and we laugh, what,
0: but we all know people that are, it seems like it, yeah. they don't think that they have that, as you were saying, luxury.
2: They don't. They And they really, um, you know, I, I will have people in my office say, You know, basically something's wrong with me because I want this or because I need this. And and so some of what I'm doing is normalizing Mm -hmm. their humanity and their needs that, you know, are really fundamental human needs. And um, so, you know, the goodies are really that they, yes, the permission that they get to give themselves. And it doesn't happen... Um, Just once. You know, they have to continuously remind themselves that this is okay. This is normal. I have a a client who talks about realizing, oh, it's normal to have heartbreak. It's normal to have failure. It's normal. And so that's what she says to herself just that it's normal.
1: And Susan is. it all yeah. sounds so valuable, and it reminds me of like somebody. It's as if so somebody's saying, you know, my home is not comfortable anymore, but I just can't afford to make sure the foundation is not falling apart. Like Absolutely. you, you have without the foundation, it's gonna fall apart right. eventually. You can't you can't
0: step around the warped. <laughs> 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 you you got to deal that it's warped and not safe. <laughs>
2: Exactly. And unfortunately, people who are trained in high resilience and trained to forego human needs like sleep and food and human touch, Mm -hmm. um, it takes, unfortunately, way too long to get help. So, you know, while many doctors are talking about prevention, they themselves don't practice it and the system itself doesn't give space for it so for a doctor for example to say i need to take care of my instrument i am the instrument of healing that takes such um yeah. power and courage and, and willingness to be to vulnerable
0: vo- yeah. willingness to have yeah. someone to be able to claim that i am important
2: that that's really- i am important yeah it's hard yeah. and 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 so then the doing can start to happen, but until they're able to sit with the pain, as you mentioned, you know, they can't really move on to what is it they want to do. You know, a lot of people come to me saying, I want to do something different. They might even have an idea, but what ends up happening is there's a lot more being and then the doing sort of unfolds instead of, I have to have a plan. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so I, I have one last question for you, and that sure. is in thinking about our audience, what things would you recommend just to start with uh, to start looking mm. at being and doing that that may open up um, some acknowledgement for themselves that that, that yeah. can allow themselves to feel more at ease in being in
2: being? <laughs> yeah, um, I would, you know, start with that normalizing hard feelings normalizing being tired exhausted that's telling you something mm-hmm. and asking yourself what is it telling me i mean the obvious is i need to sleep <laughs> yes. but you know for there's a burnout, prescription we can all follow <laughs> exactly but with burnout it's persistent and it it's not reliant on a good night's sleep so burnout is a different kind of tired yeah and you know so what's it saying to you and and really asking what are any feeling you're having what it i i have a lot of people dealing with regret what's your regret calling you to do Mm. what's it what's it telling you about what's really important what really matters so using your feelings, starting wherever you are, often it starts with physical sensations. Um, do you have persistent pain in your body that's not really explained? What's that saying to you? What's it calling for? So your body will scream at you if you don't listen. And so listening. Start um, with listening to what the signs are, what uh, what the body is saying what your heart is saying, but it might just start with physical. A lot of uh, muscular pain um, it comes with burnout. So start where you are, listen, ask yourself what, what it might be saying. Uh, you know, a lot of people poo-poo uh, journaling, but journal. And if it means just writing a list, write a list. Um, so I, I think those would be my top those, recommendations. Those,
0: those are wonderful, Susan. I really appreciate you giving some very specific things that we can think about. When you said that, I reminded myself. It reminded me when I was on a plane one time, and I mentioned to the person sitting next to me, like, "Yeah, I can sleep anywhere. I as soon as I, you know, put my head back, I'm a, <laughs> I'm asleep." And he goes, "Have you ever considered uh-huh. that you might be exhausted?" <laughs> it's like, uh-huh. uh, yeah, I think I am. <laughs> So exactly, you can, and, and, and even that was kind of like a nice nudge for someone else to like notice for me. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, again, thank you so much, Susan. I'm gonna have um, I'm gonna have you give your website um, to share for uh-huh. folks, and we'd love to have you come back sometime. when we'll, we'll continue this exploration.
2: Love it. Thank you again for having me on. And your website,
1: Wild Heart Coaching. Is- Go ahead.
2: Oh, it's www.wildheart, spelled H A R T, coaching.com.
0: Thanks so much, Susan. We'll Thanks look forward to that. having you join us again. And you're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota on Connections Radio Show. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and Rick Bernardo is my co-host. And we've been taking an exploration of looking at being and doing. Sometimes we find ourselves doing a lot and wondering, why are we doing so much? And and I feel stuck. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do anymore. And why is that? Uh, we've had all kinds of wonderful guests that join us. Um and this guest uh, is all about unsticking things, and I, I look forward to having her share her ideas and her wh- what she does now. And I also want to mention that she also uh, used to have a show here on AM950, so we welcome back a former host of AM950's lineup. So welcome, uh, Susan Shahata.
4: Thank you, Lori.
0: We're glad you're here. So tell us about the work you're doing.
4: All right. Well, like you said, I work to help people unstick things. I help people unstick their stories by releasing the limiting beliefs that keep them stuck. So I do that through individual and corporate education, as well as I use a collection of experiential modalities to really help people unwind patterns that live in our brains and our bodies and show up as thoughts, feelings, behaviors, things of that nature.
0: And when you're helping them to get unstuck, I notice in some of the write-ups that you've done, some of it's tracking on trauma. Tell me about that.
4: Yeah, that's correct. Well, these patterns that I'm talking about that live in our brains and our bodies, they're typically connected to either adverse or traumatic past experiences that we've had. And they end up expressing themselves in all areas of our life, personal lives, professional lives. And oftentimes we're getting stuck based on one of those difficult or traumatic experiences that we had. So, for example, at some point in our life, something happened, and that experience really sets up in our brain and our body with some specific takeaways like beliefs like, I'm unsafe or people abandon me. And then those beliefs, they go on to create havoc in our lives at various levels, and that's oftentimes what's keeping us stuck.
0: Can you give an example of... um a, someone who, or either yourself or others that you've worked with, what trauma created the stuck
1: <laughs>
0: and sure. how you helped them work through getting uh, to the place of being unstuck?
4: Yeah. So, One of the things that's helpful to understand is when I'm talking about these bodily memories, it's that when we experience something difficult or traumatic, and I can give some examples of that as well, basically what happens is our body has an unconscious physiological response that we're usually familiar with this idea of fight or flight, Mm -hmm. but there's actually a number of different trauma responses, fight, flight, freeze, Fawn, flop, and these trauma responses. What happens is they they come up in that that original experience, but in the present moment, whenever a stressful situation comes up, that might remind the body of that past. Experience our body has that default response to one of those states, mm-hmm. and we can get stuck there. Mm-hmm. So we often think of being stuck as being frozen, like like immobile, not being able to move forward. Like a rabbit when a... it's in
0: fear, it just stops.
4: Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm, exactly. And that would be like our freeze response. But really, we can get stuck in any of our trauma responses. We can get in. We can get stuck in anger, which would be our fight response. We could get stuck in avoidance which would be our flight response. So we can really get stuck in any of these stress or trauma responses. I, I have a
0: question that's the physical, you know, and, and we, the body has taken in this bad experience. The body can take in a good experience as well. Um, I, I bring this up only because I remember when I first started getting back into horseback riding, and I had had horses when I was a kid, I would use a saddle and my leg would go in a certain way and all of a sudden it opened up wonderful memories of riding. Um, And I knew there was something that my body had responded to. Do you ever use not only for the trauma but also for some joyous opportunities what the body can tap into?
4: That's such a wonderful question, and you're really hitting hitting it on the head with that our body is storing these somatic or body-based memories, and we have access to all of these really wonderful, joyful memories as well. So oftentimes in a trauma recovery process, we are helping people anchor back to some of those positive memories mm-hmm. that you're talking about as well, and really helping people understand that what's what's happening in the first place is bodily memory. Because I think a lot of times when we have these stress responses, these trauma responses, because they're automatic, oftentimes, almost all the time, they're unconscious, we don't understand what's happening. And then we tell ourselves stories about it, like, oh, I'm so lazy, or I'm so uh, dumb, or I'm so whatever kind of negative self-talk might be happening there. Which which are really
0: (laughs) harsh shaming, you know, to, to hold on to that. Yeah, right, in a, ab- our, our self shaming, you know, in, in self talk,
4: yeah. absolutely. And-, and so, when we start to understand that these are bodily memories, I think we can give ourselves a, a lot more grace yes. and start to work with them a little differently.
0: I love that idea of giving ourselves grace through how our body reacts and and that just opens up all sorts of possibilities, doesn't it? It allows us not to um, be mean to ourselves.
4: It really does, because I think so much of this work is about Mm self-compassion. And ultimately, with that self-compassion, we begin to have more compassion for other people as well. Because I think a lot of times what happens is uh, all of our personal trauma ends up collecting and becoming this very much a collective trauma that we're projecting outward. So when we're doing this work for ourselves, we're really doing it to be a better member of our community as well, because it serves not only us, but it serves the collective when we do our individual work. Do you have a
0: sense of why it's hard for us to be compassionate to ourselves?
4: Oh, goodness. Well, so often these experiences were set up in a way that created a lot of shame. You already mentioned the word shame, Mm -hmm. and I think that that is uh, spot on with a lot of this. And that's because in a lot of these experiences, they were when we were quite young and feeling oftentimes quite powerless and i think a sense of powerlessness oftentimes will leave us with feelings of shame and then of course that's compounded if it happened in a situation where there was abuse or something where there was really explicit shaming or blaming that took place as part of the situation as well And that so gets, a lot of times and that
0: gets deep rooted
4: very deep rooted very deep rooted in the body interesting yeah, they they say that shame is something that we begin to experience even in infancy. Wow! So that shows you how far back this stuff can go. And it also shows you how pre-verbal some of these memories are and why it's important for us to work on a body-based or somatic level when we're trying to unstick these stories, because so many of these stories were set up in early childhood. Before we had Verbal understanding, where we could simply process it through language, uh, before we might have even had language at all.
0: Susan, yeah, we need to go to break, and I want to make sure that folks know how to reach you. And I want to continue our conversation in our next, uh, our next segment because I have a couple more questions for you. I don't want, I want to be able to explore with you. So please give us the website. Excuse me, yeah, your website that people can learn more about the work you do.
4: Yes, it's my name, SusanShahada.com, S-U-S-A-N-S-H-E-H-A-T-A.
0: And we'll come back after a short break with commercials and learn more about how you can help unstick our stories. Uh, And thank you so much for joining us on Connections Radio Show here on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Joining us today with Connections Radio Show, Uh, we're exploring being and doing. I am your host, Lori Fitz, and Rick Bernardo is my co-host, who brought these wonderful guests together uh, based on conversations we were having about being and doing. Uh, And you have brought some wonderful people. Thank you.
1: Every one of them, uh, an angle, a window, a mirror into uh, aspects of our being where we generally can get stuck it's not a question of yes or no it's just how <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh that's just being human and Su- susan shahada that's uh, susanshahada.com s-h-e just like she h-a-t-a that's how you spell her name i know her uh back from being on am 950 radio with her raising the consciousness program some years ago and since then i i can't even i haven't even been able to keep total track of all the things she does, to uh, be along with people, support them in various aspects of breakthroughs and getting unstuck in different ways. Um, and I, uh, Susan, uh, what I'm interested in, uh, we were just talking about different aspects of a, sort of a background narrative where we get stuck. Sometimes we don't even know it's there because it was pre-verbal for us. Um, what kind of tools do we use to uh, not necessarily dismantle, but even to notice those things going on with us?
4: Yes, so I do a a number of different things that help people have a better understanding of that, whether that's the individual or corporate education I do, and I mention that piece because I think a big part of this is even learning about it and understanding that these things exist and that they're happening in our bodies, and then it becomes what do we do? Like you said, it's a noticing process. So I work with people on both the cognitive or mind-based level and also the somatic or body-based level with a number of experiential modalities, as I mentioned earlier. So uh, that includes anything from something that I call story work, where I use a specific technique to help people identify themes where they're getting stuck In their life, I do something called conscious connected breath work, which is a somatic process where people can really begin to unwind these patterns, utilizing the breath as a tool to access some of this unconscious material that gets stored in the body. And then I also do a lot of work with communication and conflict management. So I help people do relational work. And then finally, as if that wasn't uh, enough (laughs) modalities, I do work with people's physical environments, their their physical spaces, which is such a wonderful tool to help us take what's happening internally, where we can't always see it, and witness it in our external space. So... A number of different tools that people can use,
0: and I, I'm curious about your soul space work that you were just mentioning. Tell me more about that.
4: So the space work, uh, the yes, I, I call I, I I just include the word soul space story in the work that I do because on the deepest level, what we're working at is the things that are. Uh, hanging out on on the the deepest levels of our being which which many people identify as the soul and the way that that stuff manifests into uh, different aspects of our life including our physical environment and so I work with people to help them see how they can align their space with their lives and that might be anything from uh, core values that they hold or needs that they have for say safety or connection. It might be different kinds of life goals that they're trying to achieve, from writing a book to spending more uh, time with family or whatever it might be. And we're going to really look at how the space is a reflection of those goals, of those values, and see if we can bring them into alignment more. Interesting.
0: So if you are wanting to write your book, how do you create a space that makes it more conducive for you wanting to go to that space and do that
4: writing. Exactly. Absolutely. A lot of times what we need, and this has been scientifically researched, is these, these prompts in our physical environment mm-hmm. to remind the brain, hey, remember we're going to write that book and here is our nice little comfortable area where we're going to sit down and do that mm-hmm. versus a desk full of clutter that right. maybe doesn't feel very inspirational or inviting or creative. Unless it does. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, so again. And
0: I can relate to that. I, I actually started to get into beautiful pens for my to-do lists for everything. <laughs> and and it, re- it, it, it makes it more joyous for me. For a long time, it was like, oh, where, where's this? And, you know, you're looking for a pen or a pencil. But now I, like, take pride in, like, I know I'm going to have to make some lists every day. Why not have a beautiful pen that, that, that makes me feel good about, you know, writing that to-do list?
1: And there's, there's so much uh, of a depth and breadth of various traditions, many of them Japanese and Chinese around uh, environment. It's mm-hmm. just uh, a feng shui, things like that, where I've always been fascinated with like how energy flows within us, but also around us. And I know Susan Shahad has been working in that field for, for a long time.
0: Susan, another thing that I find, and getting back to my horse uh, as as a memory, I know that I went to the barn a lot when I wanted to find peace, when I wanted to have a place where I didn't have, you know, the voices in my head, because I was felt so connected in my barn. And I I still do that today. I have a barn now <laughs> with my horses. Um, do you help with kind of a, in finding your peace? You know, what gives you joy in addition of what you think that you need to do?
4: Exactly. Well, because the thing is that we want to have those spaces. Remember, I said earlier that we have those bodily memories that we can anchor back to. Well, just like that in our physical environments, we can create a specific space, like you're saying, where it is a space that invites us to come into it and either be or do in a certain way. So it might be something that is more active, like we mentioned the writing of the book, but it can simply be a place where we're sipping our coffee and relaxing and looking out the window at our garden or just doing a quiet uh, reflection exercise, meditation exercise. And when we have a specific space that we do that, just like you're saying with your barn, the body remembers. And if we're having a stressful day at work and we go into that intentional space we've created the body goes oh hey this is the place where (laughs) my breath relaxes it does and my my happy place
0: (laughs) we could could start creating what does it mean to have a happy place for whatever our intention is that's a thing absolutely Susan, your insights are are wonderful and allow us to imagine possibilities for ourselves. Um, we have about a minute and a half left. I'd love to have you give some recommendations to our audience of things that, that they may want to think about in being and doing.
4: Well, I think the biggest thing that... Is important is intention setting, it, it, especially since we are in a new year and it's in the collective to be thinking in terms of what do I want for myself going forward. I think it's a great time for us to even just get quiet if we have that space to do so. And this is different than goal setting because it's really more about uh, it's it's more about uh, an underlying intent, whether that's to, uh, to be in a calmer state or to be in a more active state, meaning I'm going to move my body more in this new year or I'm going to notice bodily sensations in a different way. And it's a much more fluid and forgiving thing than setting new year's resolutions or whatnot but i think one of the biggest things to this work of unsticking our stories really begins in the noticing process right. like we're talking about so i would say that that's thanks. the biggest thing is how do i start noticing. thanks so
1: much susan uh susan shahada.com that's who we've been speaking with at connections radio laurie fitz and i thank you so much susan
0: Susan, we're gonna invite you back and I appreciate you letting the audience know about things to be thinking about. You're great. We'll we'll look forward to next time.
4: Thank you. I
3: want to